Welcome to this podcast from Central, Jesus at the Heart. More information is available from www.jesusattheheart.org. We've called the series um, 87,232. Does anyone know why? Seconds in the week? Nope. It's how many hours you are going to work in your life. From the age of 18 through to the age of 65, 87,232 hours you're going to work for the man. That's what's going to happen. And that's an average, I know, and no one's retiring at 65 and all that kind of stuff. But actually, that's what's going to happen. So you are going to work more than you're going to do anything else in life apart from sleep. Or if you're really godly, read the Bible or something like that. But you're going you're to work. Does God have something to say about work? You bet he does. He has a whole bunch of things to say about work because he is really, really interested in you and I living the best possible life that we can live. He's really, really interested in you and I having him at the center of every part of our life. So he's got stuff to say about work and how we work and how we view work and what we're like at work. He has things to say. I want to read just a few passages of scripture to us before we get into uh, this thing. So if you've got a Bible and you'd, um, you have it in front of you, then turn with me to right at the beginning of the Bible to Genesis and chapter 47. Glasses? Oh, don't worry. We'll do without. Genesis 47. And we read this. This is the story of Joseph. Now, Joseph is probably the best example we have in the scriptures, the longest example we have of someone who, who works in an influential way um, in his workplace. And uh, so we have some things that we need to read about Joseph. Joseph, we read this. Verse 11. So Joseph settled his father and his brothers in Egypt and gave them property in the best part of the land, the district of Ramesses, as Pharaoh directed. Joseph also provided his father and his brothers and all his father's household with food according to the number of their children. There was no food, however, in the whole region because the famine was severe. Both Egypt and Canaan wasted away because of the famine. Joseph collected all the money that was to be found in Egypt and Canaan in payment for the grain they were buying and he brought it to Pharaoh's palace. When the money of the people of Egypt and Canaan was gone, All Egypt came to Joseph and said, give us food. Why should we die before your eyes? Our money is used up. Then bring your livestock, said Joseph. I will sell you food in exchange for your livestock since your money is gone. So they brought their livestock to Joseph and he gave them food in exchange for their horses, their sheep and their goats, their cattle and donkeys. And he brought them that, and he brought that year, them through that year with food in exchange for all their livestock. Now I'm going to read you one other verse in the scriptures and that's from the book of Ephesians and chapter 2 and verse 10. It says this, For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. I, I think God wants you to love your job. <laughs> 
And you sit there and go, really? I mean, you don't know my job. You don't know what I have to do. You don't know what I have to put up with. You don't know the people I have to work with. You don't know how much it sucks. You don't know how hard I work. Well, I, I, I know I only work one day a week, but I have some idea of some of the things. I mean, you ha- if you had to work with the people I have to work with, you, you would know. You have to work with the people I work for. You would know how hard it is uh, to, to do a job. Um, our society, I think is increasingly in crisis around what it means to work and how we handle work. It's, like, it's, like, it's, not, it's not as if I want to claim that we're worse off than any other generation, but I think we're hitting what could be described as a perfect storm. You know, a perfect storm is when, is when three particular pressure points come together to produce turmoil, three pressure systems. And I think in work, we've got three pressure systems coming together. There are some of you here today who say, I just feel insignificant in my work. That's a pressure system. I feel like I'm working every day. I'm doing stuff that needs done again the next day. I'm cleaning stuff. It needs cleaned again. I'm teaching stuff. It needs taught again. I'm stacking shelves that need stacked again. And you're thinking, what in the wo- how in the world am I significant in what I do? It's all well and good, Carl, you saying that God thinks I'm significant, but I don't feel significant nine to five. I don't feel as if I'm achieving anything. Just feel as if I'm doing and doing and doing insignificance. And then there are others of us who just feel deeply insecure, and probably we feel both. Because probably in our generation, there is the deepest insecurity about work than in any generation. I mean, there was a time when you got a, you got a job for life, didn't you? You know, my grandfather, he became an apprentice, he got a job where he was apprenticed, and he retired doing the thing that he did. And that wasn't unusual. You did a job. And you knew you were going to have that job and you were going to keep doing that job. But now most of us, are we going to have that job next month, next year? Most of us have had two or three, four or five, six or seven jobs. And sometimes that's really an attractive proposition, but also it creates deep insecurity in us. We don't know whether we're going to be doing what we're doing. So am I insignificant? Am I insecure? And it is just incessant. I mean, there was a time when people would come home from work, kick back, relax. The evening was yours. Nobody could contact you. You didn't have something called email. Nobody had a smartphone. Nobody had a tablet. Nobody had a laptop. Nobody could contact you. And there was a time when a holiday was a holiday. And you never feel under pressure to sneak away into the lavatory, close the door, and get your iPad out. I mean, who would do that? You don't feel as if someone was always going to contact you and you're always on the job and you always had to be prepared and you always had to prepare for what was coming next because work was just part of life. It wasn't the whole of life. And for some of us, we feel like not only are we insignificant, not only do we feel insecure, but actually it is just incessant. We're working for the man or for the pension or for the retirement or just for the weekend. We've just got to get through this thing. And Carl, you mean to tell me that God wants me to have joy in my work? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely he does. God wants the best for you. God wants you to flourish. God wants you to fly. God wants you to love life. God wants you to play your part in life. He's not just trying to drag you down. And that's incredibly countercultural. I mean, even in our language, we talk about the daily grind 
don't we? We, we, at TGI Friday, thank God it's Friday. Tell me why I don't like Mondays. Tell, you know, half of you got no idea what I just did. <laughs> Tell me why I don't like Mondays. No, you know, I don't like Mondays because it's work day. Tell me why I don't like Sundays. <laughs> this is my work day. <laughs> Do you know, it's, it's, it's working nine to... No, let's not do that. We're just, we're just doing the stuff. We got, and it's in our head that we've just got to get through this thing and make it happen. And how can there be joy in it? And when it's incessant and it's, it's you know, I feel insecure and I, and I feel as if I'm insignificant. You know what? I would absolutely love for us to reclaim the sacredness and the beauty in the act of work. Whatever you do, whether it's fixing stuff or leading people or teaching children or studying for exams or raising kids or creating art or sculpting sculpture or what, whatever you do that is productive, I would love us to, to reestablish and reclaim the sacredness of that thing. See, here's the thing. God's plan, his pleasing, good, perfect will for the best life that you can have involves work. His best life for you, contrary to some of the culture in our world, is not that you can retire as quickly as possible and have the most indulgent, non-worky life and just kick back and relax. That's not his best plan for you. His plan is that you find a rhythm of work and rest that enables you to express who God made you to be. Which doesn't mean that you shouldn't want to retire at some stage and you shouldn't want to have fun and you shouldn't kick back. But God has work at his heart for your life. Principle number one. And all I want to do today is give you some principles and, uh, and then give you an example in the life of Joseph. Just to tell you where you're going, that's what we're going to do. Principle number one is this. God has work at, his, at the heart of his plan for you because you're created in his image. And he has work at the heart of his plan for himself. Ah, God works. The, the first thing that's said about God in the whole of the Bible is that God works. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He's pretty good at work. And he works hard. And what he did was great because he's able to kick back at the end of each day and go, that's good. And at the end of six days, he's able to say, I've worked really hard and what I've created is very good. I'm going to take a day off and just enjoy everything that God, that I've made. And I made galaxies and I, 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 the stars are the work of my fingertips. They're my hobby. I throw them into space and name them. I just, that's what I do. That's my work. That's how I work. That's what I do. And that's really important for us to understand because you and I, are the crowning point of God's creation. You're like the pinnacle. You're, you're his best work. And, and you get created and I get created in his image to reflect his image, to do what he does, and to co-create and to co-work with him. That's what we're told. In Genesis 1 and 2, we're told this, that we get to steward all of creation. It's a great job. We get to name animals, we get to tend the garden, we get to plant, we get to sow, we get to reap, and the fall makes work harder, but, but work itself is not cursed because work is cooperating and participating in the life of God. God created you in his image. 
to work. Principle number two. God's best for your life is that you give him glory through your work. God made you you, and he wants you to glorify him. He made you with your talents and your gifts and your personality and your interests and your kind of perfect mix of all that kind of stuff. Nobody is like you. All the things that make you you are genetically encoded into you by God. And God wants you to express you through the work that he gives you to do. That verse of scripture in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10 says this, God's You are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God purposed in advance for you to do. Now, that word workmanship is is the word in the Greek poema, and it's where we get the word poem from. You are God's masterpiece. You're his piece of art. God didn't give you work just so you can earn money to buy stuff or just so that you can earn money to survive stuff or just so that you can earn enough money to retire one day. God gave you work so that you could express your worship to him, that it might be beautiful to him, that you might play your part in God's plan for this world. It's your poem. And here's my play on it. When a a creature does what it's created to do, it brings glory to God. So when a bird sings or a bird flies, it brings glory to God. When a flower blooms and you go, wow, it brings glory to God. And here's the thing, you you don't bring glory to God just by singing songs and reading Bibles and praying prayers. You bring glory to God by being you in all the fullness of being you. You bring glory to God, not just by doing the things that sound godly. You bring glory to God by making a deal, if that's who God made you to be. You bring glory to God by making money, if that's who God made you to be. You bring glory to God by mending people, if that's who God made you to be. You bring glory to God by looking after the house, if that's who God made you to be. You bring glory to God by by creating a sculptor, if that's who God made you to be. You bring glory to God by dancing well, if that's who God made you to be. You bring glory to God by administrating things well, if that's who God made you to be. He receives glory and suddenly it stops being the daily grind and it becomes worship. It becomes glory. It becomes the whole of your life in adoration to God. Principle number two. Let me say something that that might get me into trouble. To fulfill God's will for your life, you need a vision of work that expresses who God made you to be. to, To fulfill God's will for your life, you need a vision of work that expresses who God made you to be. In other words, if you spend your entire life in a mismatched job, If you are never, never able to use your gifts, if you're never able to be the person God made you to be, that's not just a serious issue, it's a spiritual issue because you're going to struggle to give glory to God. You're going to struggle for it to be worship. Now, I'm not saying that today you all need to get on your smartphones right now and quit your jobs because it sucks and you shouldn't be doing that because I'll get into so much trouble and you haven't listened to the rest of the sermon, which is going to correct some of that stuff. But... 
I am saying, you, you deserve more than to live the whole of your life unable to express who you are before God and unable to give him glory. Because he loves you and he has a plan for your life. So image, glory, productivity. God made you to be productive. Why? Because God produces things. He produces pretty cool things like galaxies, Animals, you know, how, how, how cool would it be to be God? Tiger, <laughs> giraffe, hummingbird. You know, just because we're told that he, he produces things by the power of his breath. So, you know, just speak it, it is. Hummingbird, you know, Carl. <laughs> you know, it would be amazing just to be God and go big nose. You know, whatever. just to be able to do this kind of stuff and just to move things around. But God, God is always producing stuff and he hasn't stopped producing things. And he made you to be creative and productive. That's why you've got opposable thumbs. You're the only creature in the world that's got these things. And that's why we're the only species that would ever invent a wheel. Because we're creative and we're productive and we think, you know what? If we're going to haul those big rocks and stones to make Stonehenge, we better invent the wheel to do that. Because we're not going to lug that. It's going to be hard work for us. So we need to find a different way of doing it. And so we find a way to be productive and to be creative. God made you to be productive. That's why our, our whole concept of retirement is a bit weird. Don't you think? That's why the, the whole idea that, that, that there's going to come a day, I'm going to work, 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 get as much money as I can, get a pension, and then I'm just going to kick back and relax and not be, no, 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 no. It's not just that you're going to rest, it's that actually you're going to die because you're created to be productive. You don't have to earn a wage, but you have to participate with what God is doing. You have to use the skills that God has given to you. You're supposed to still give glory to God through what you do. I, you know, I love my job. My, um, my oldest daughter, Lydia, was once asked by her grandfather when she was very little, do you, do, do you, Lydia, do you love your daddy? Yes, I love my daddy. What does your daddy do? He works. What does your daddy do when he works? He preaches. She's about four years of age. Lydia, do you love your mummy? Oh, I love my mummy. Good answer. What does your mummy do? She works. What does she do when she works? She listens to the preacher. <laughs> if only. Well, I, I, you know, to, be, <laughs> to be honest. You're made to be more than just someone who listens or, or, or you're made to be someone who's productive. I love my job. I love that I get to do this thing. I love that I, find, I love that I found my fear. I love that I'm doing what God called me to do. And I love that, that increasingly that's the case. And I love the fact that there are very, very few days in the whole of my working life when I've got out of bed and I put the pillow back on my head and put the duvet and, oh, I don't want to do it today. I hate it. I, 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 I'm just going back to bed. I hate my job and I hate my... You know, there, there's a part of every day that I say that about. <laughs> you know what I mean, don't you? There are parts of everyone's day. You go, I don't want to do that. I really... If I could avoid that, I'd avoid that. I don't want to meet that person or speak to that thing or do this thing or write that essay or whatever it is. But actually, I love my job and I've always loved working. I loved... Well, apart from the paper round I had. I had the worst paper round anyone's ever had. 
Do you know, I must have been the longest paper round. I got paid so little, it probably cost me more in bicycle tires than it, and I, what I actually got paid. I hate it. But I, and I, I've enjoyed, all, I think I've enjoyed every job I've had. I, I was in McDonald's flipping burgers. I'm sure they've got a machine for it now, but I was the burger flipper. You know, cheese on three regular. I, you know, and I didn't enjoy everything about that job, but I enjoyed the feeling that I, I did that job and I got money for it and I worked hard and I, I, I produced something, just burgers, but I produced something. I enjoyed the job when I was a, a handyman. <laughs> I, I, I did a job one, one year at the college I was at in the summer being a handyman. I, I think the fence I put up fell down. I was absolutely useless, but I like the kind of manual, you know, get out there and hit things and, and do stuff. I, I, I've loved every job. I love selling jumpers in a, in a shop. I like that job. I liked working. I liked being productive. I liked being a teacher. I was a teacher. I was the worst teacher ever. I was too nice. You know, number one rule of being a teacher, don't be nice. If you're nice, they just walk all over you. You've got to be kind of steely about the whole thing. I, but I, I love my job, and I have a feeling that... I will always work. I don't mean that I don't have a vision of one day kicking back a bit. I don't mean I don't have a vision of, of you know, walking a dog on the beach with my little two-bedroom cottage with a log-burning stove that I poke with a poker. Do you know? I don't, have a, I, I don't, I don't mean I'm not going to play a bit of golf, but I mean I'm always going to be productive if I possibly can because that's who God made me to be. And I think, honestly, that's who God made us to be. That's why unemployment is such an issue. It's not about money. It's about how do we produce? How do we work? How do we serve? How do we use the gifts and abilities that God has given to us to make a difference in this world? Productive. How do we be productive? Final principle. Everything is spiritual. And Jesus is Lord of it all. Guys, if you're a believer in Jesus, would you stop compartmentalizing your life? So, so many Christians do it, don't they? They, they? they struggle with the connection between Sunday morning and Monday morning. You know, Sunday morning, you sing the songs, pray the prayers, read the Bible, listen to the preacher, behave yourself, look smart-ish. Ish. Monday... You, know, you just become a different person, different values, the way you speak, the way you think. And it's not, because you're, it's not because you're a bad person. It's just that you've somehow disconnected the two things. This is church. This is work. This is my, this world. This is that world. And that's not the way in which we're supposed to roll. Everything is spiritual. Do you know what really, really, really hacks me off? The concept that's often peddled around, that if I get really spiritual... If I really, really, really get spiritual, if I lay it all on the altar, God is going to take me out of that well-paid creative job or that influential role teaching kids and he's going to send me to Africa to translate the Bible or something. That really hacks me off. Even worse than that, if I get really, really, really spiritual, I might one day end up working for Central. Really? Really? There's only a few of us that God calls to do that, everyone else just gets to run with the dreams that God's placed in their hearts and their lives. Everyone else gets to serve his purposes and give him glory in everything else he is doing in this world. Do you know that, that, that almost all the heroes in the scriptures had ordinary, sensible jobs? 
They weren't vicars or ministers or work for a church. Do you know that? Jesus. Let's take Jesus for a moment. Jesus, the son of God, remember him? From the age of six through 30, had a proper job. Now, most of us think that his job was a carpenter. Let me tell you, Jesus wasn't a carpenter. The word in the original Greek is the word tekton. It actually best translated builder. And the reason that Jesus is always thought of as being a carpenter is when the Bible was translated in the Middle Ages, the only material they had to build buildings was wood. So the interpreters just put carpenter next to builder. But in Jesus' day, all the houses were built with stone. And Jesus lived right next door to a quarry. So almost certainly Jesus was a mason, a stone builder. Come at me afterwards about that. But the point is this, Jesus worked. We don't read anywhere in the scriptures, do we? Jesus saying, oh man, I hate this job. I mean, when do I get to raise people from the dead? (laughs) You know, he learned how to do what God had called Paul. Paul was a tent maker. Now, we're told that Paul um, was given money out of generosity because of his ministry and because of the way he served, and that was perfectly acceptable, and he asked people to do that. But also, he said, I'm going to provide for myself as well. I'm going to make tents so that I'm not completely reliant upon the people of God for my money. And Lydia, Lydia is a really interesting case. Lydia is one of the leaders of the early church, and she, we're told, when we read about her in Philippi, is a dealer in purple cloth. Wow, that's really interesting. Because what is the point of purple? I mean, really, what, what is the point of purple? I'm sorry if you're wearing purple today. You know, I, t- I said that in the earlier service. About half the women in the world were wearing purple. And, oh, my goodness me. But what, there is no point to purple. Purple is, just, purple is just the color. You know, purple's nice. It adorns things. But there's no practical use for purple. It just looks nice. And back in the day, purple was very, very expensive. So what we're being told was that Lydia was a designer clothes dealer. That's what she did. So if God's gotten hold of your heart for trading in Gucci bags, that's great. If God's gotten hold of your heart for trading in mulberry bags or, 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 or Pierre Cardin or whatever it is, that's fantastic. Because God loves it. You don't have to have a job that is deeply meaningful. You know, I grew up in, in, in a generation where, you know, if you were a Christian, you ought to be a doctor, a nurse, a missionary, or a minister. And if you dealt with any of the other stuff, you didn't tell anybody else because lawyers, eh, accountants, eh, well, unless they served in the church, that was okay. But you, know, you didn't have other jobs. Businessmen and women, well, we didn't talk about that because they were clearly dodgy. And you never get to anywhere decent in life without treading on a few people, and that really wasn't good. And so, therefore, you just didn't talk about those kind of jobs. And it's a piece of nonsense because God made you you and he wants to glorify himself through you and he wants you to serve his purposes and he wants you to have joy in your job. Principles, done. I want you to give you very, very quickly because I've spoken far too long. I want you to give, give you a little model of the life of Joseph And I want to give you four things. We haven't got a lot of time, but I want to give you four things that are true in the life of Joseph that will help you when you find that role that God has for you will help you work well and honor him in your place of work. Okay? So the backstory is this. Joseph 
Uh, you'll know it. The backstory is Joseph gets sold into slavery by his brothers because he's arrogant. And when he gets to Potiphar's house, he, 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 make, well, he doesn't make any mistake. He just gets framed and he ends up in prison. And in prison, he has these dreams. He's got this ability to interpret dreams and uh, he's able to interpret people's dreams. And eventually he gets out of prison and he's interpreting Pharaoh's dreams, the most important person in the nation. And suddenly Pharaoh says, well, the dream that I've been given is so important. I need someone to administer my kingdom and you're the man see that's like seven chapters of scripture in 15 seconds you are the man and Joseph becomes like the prime minister of Egypt and the passage of scripture we read was a passage of scripture when Egypt is going through seven years of plenty and then seven years of famine and Joseph is able to administer this stuff because he's at the center of God's will the place of God's choosing, and he's using his gifts to glorify God. Four things I want you to notice. In your workplace, and probably, here's the thing, before you run off to change your job and say, well, I'm not giving glory to God, and it's really hard, probably God has you exactly where he wants you. Probably. Probably right now, God has you exactly where you want. You're either in the sweet spot, or he's training you up so you might get into the sweet spot. So don't you rush off onto your smartphone and quit your job because you need to give glory to God. You hang in there. First thing is this. You need a plan. You need a plan. You need a dream. You need a vision of what God is calling you to. You need a vision of what God is asking you to move into. You need a strategy and you need a plan if you're ever going to work according to the purposes of God. One of my four... How am I going to get to what I'm for? If you're young and you're starting out in in work, how am I going to get to the person that God wants me to be so I can serve his purposes? What do I need to read? What do I need to listen to? Who do I need to hang out with? How do I need to persevere? How do I need to grow in who I am? You're going to need patience because that vision is going to bring tension into your life. Because you're going to be thinking, I'm not what, I, I, I'm not what I, I am. I'm not what I'm going to be, and I'm not what I was, and, I'm, and I am what I am, and it really sucks. And I really No, you're going to need patience because God is growing you. This principle is, is why every teenage kid comes to every parent at some stage and says, I don't understand why I'm having to learn algebra. I'm never going to use algebra. I don't understand why I need to know the GDP of China. Because I'm never ever going to need that piece of information. I don't understand why I need to know about Russian industrial history because I'm never going to use that piece of information. And the answer, if you're an honest parent, is you're absolutely right. You probably never will. But what's happening now is you're learning to learn. What's happening now is you're growing muscles. What's happening right now is you're learning how to be the person that you're one day going to be. What's happening is you're learning to study. What's happening is you're learning discipline. What's happening is you're learning perseverance. Do you know that study is a job? I wish someone had told me that when I was studying. Because I quite like the jobs. I just didn't like studying. Studying is a job. That's your job. That's how you're being productive. That's how you're bringing glory to God. You study well. You study hard. If my children are here, listen. Study well. You study hard. And it's not always going to make sense. But there is coming a day when the big picture will be realized. You need a plan. Second thing, you need to serve with loyalty. Joseph is the uh, second greatest man in the nation, but he is a man under authority. He does what Pharaoh tells him to do. This is huge, guys. 
in, in a nation where we have a pretty poor attitude towards authority and leadership, this is really, really important. You want to bring glory to God through your work. You want to enjoy life. You need to learn to submit. You need to learn to speak well of those in authority over you. And you need to learn to serve them. And you need to learn to do it with excellence and enthusiasm even when they are incompetent and they suck. Because it's about honor. And sometimes the guy or the girl that you're serving under will be incompetent and difficult and there'll be a personality clash and she won't like you and you won't like them. But Paul, Paul writes about this. He says in Colossians chapter 3, verse 23, when he's speaking to slaves, he says, work as if you are working for the Lord. Work as if you're working. That changes everything, doesn't it? Suddenly if Jesus is in the room, it changes everything. You're not working for the man, you're working for the man. And suddenly you work with enthusiasm and excellence even when you're doing a menial task because actually you're doing the washing up for Jesus and you're cleaning up the kid's room for Jesus and you're doing that menial task that you shouldn't be doing when you're doing it for Jesus. You're not doing it to satisfy the person who's asked you to do it and you're typing the thing for the fourth time and you're doing it for Jesus and you know, suddenly that changes the whole character of what you're doing. And remember this, the person that is leading you that you're finding really difficult they're dealing with the same perfect storm that you're dealing with. They're broken as well. They're struggling as well. They're struggling with insecurity because they don't know if their job's going to be there for life. They're struggling with, you know, is, is this actually making any difference what I'm doing? They're just struggling. It's incessant for them. If it's incessant for you, it's incessant for them. You believe the pressure they're under. So why don't you speak well of them? Why don't you encourage them? Why don't you pray for them? Why don't you tell them when, they, when you can with integrity that they're doing a good job? Secondly, be loyal and serve. Thirdly, uh, what we learn from, from Joseph is this. You lead when you lead with integrity. If you ever get a chance to lead in life, and most of you will in some way or other, you'll lead somebody then you have to lead with integrity. Jo Joseph had all the power and authority and all the keys in Egypt. But it doesn't appear as if he had an offshore fund or a dodgy expense account. And what seemed to happen is people came with open hands and completely vulnerable because they were starving and he dealt with them with integrity. You do the same. That word integrity is really important. It means wholeness. It means intactness. It means singular heart, singular mind. What it means is that you're exactly the same person wherever you are and whatever situation you're in. You're not different. You're not dealing with Jesus in worship on Sunday in a different way than you're dealing with your colleagues on Tuesday afternoon. You're just you. You're, you're the same when you're listening to the boss or whether you're listening to the person in your organization who can do the least for you. You're exactly the same. You have complete integrity. Whether the boss is looking over your shoulder or not looking over your shoulder, you're not on Facebook because you're doing your job. And you're doing it in your time, not their time. And you work and you lead with absolute integrity. Final thought. If you're going to find yourself at the center of God's plan for your place of work, work with creativity. Genesis 47 is, is this story of Joseph having to come up with a new plan. 
I mean, he's got all these seven years of plenty and then he's got, he's got all this grain and it's stored and people come with all their money and they buy the grain. I'm absolutely certain that Joseph hadn't planned for this. He just thought, I'm going to have to have people come. They're going to have to buy grain. There'll be grain for them to buy. And then they come and say, we've, bought, we've used all our money up and we've, we're still starving. And, and, we've, and then they come with their livestock. He said, we used our livestock up. So Joseph has to have a different plan. He has to be creative around the plan if it's going to work. If you're going to serve with integrity and if you're going to serve with passion and you're going to find that you glorify God in your work, you're going to have to be a change agent, you're going to have to be a transformation agent, and you're going to have to be creative. It's natural, isn't it? God made you in his image to be creative. And here's what's going to happen, I'll tell you. When you serve with integrity, when you find the place of God's calling for you, when you give glory to God, when you say, I'm, I'm willing to go through that kind of tension because I'm just going to serve his purposes, I'm going to love on people, I'm going to be exactly the same in every situation, I'm going to serve with loyalty those above me, then you're going to create a shift in the atmosphere of your workplace. That's what's going to happen. There's going to be this epidemic of creativity. Because what's going to happen is is, as you embody the creativity of Father God, it's going to become infectious because you embody the creativity of Father God as well. And so does everybody else because we're all created in the image of God. And deep down in our hearts and lives is all this creativity and all this passion and all this glory and all this desire to worship. Suddenly your workplace is going to become a different place because people are going to start serving with loyalty because you start speaking well. And people are going to start leading with integrity because that's what you're doing. And you're going to make the most of 87,232 hours of your life, which when we first started talking about it, you thought, what a waste of time. And here's the thing. There's always going to be the susceptibility to the perfect storm until you know Jesus. It just is. Because he is the prince of peace. And because he is the one that introduces us to the father who says, I love you and I have a plan for your life. Because he is the one that introduces significance into our lives, says, I have a plan and a purpose for you. And if you follow this plan in lockstep with the creator of the universe, then you're going to walk together towards a plan, which is incredible. Outside of him, there's always this susceptibility to insecurity and insignificance and incessant activity. But with him, we have an opportunity for our work to be a joy. Wouldn't you like that? Yes. Excellent. And because I only work one day a week, that's all I know about work. So I'd love just to pray for us and uh, and then we'll get about the rest of our work. And some of you can go and quit your jobs and change your jobs and go and do a day's work or whatever. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We love how practical you are. We love the fact that you're interested in every part of our life. We love that you don't compartmentalize our lives. We love that you created us with passion and purpose. And we love that you have a plan for our life. And we ask, Father, that as we, as we tease these thoughts and ideas around and as your Holy Spirit prompts ideas in us, that we would be moving towards a place when we can say, we're in the place of God's choosing 
We're using the gifts that God has given. We're bringing glory to him and we have joy in our work. I ask this in Jesus' name.